Well, I don't know about you guys, but like November hit and the weather got a little bit colder and I'm realizing that Thanksgiving is almost here. My wife's talking about Christmas shopping already. Like, I'm not ready for the holidays. Are you guys ready for the holidays? Okay, some of you are, some of you aren't. I don't know how you guys online are feeling about the holidays, but I got to tell you, man, the holidays are an interesting time because, you know, for many of us, we're going to spend time with close family or close friends, people who know us well, and that can be really cool. It can also be really stressful, can it? And so um, what we're doing is we're trying to figure out, okay, how do we go into this holiday season at our best? How can we go in ready for success this holiday season? And so starting this coming Sunday, one week from today, we're going to be doing a three-part sermon series called Home for the Holidays. And uh, really, that is just a, a short series around relationships and holiday stress. And, you know, does the Bible have any wisdom for us in navigating those things? Because many of us, we've been round and around on that roller coaster ride of of holiday drama. And uh, maybe there's a different way we can approach it this year. Does God have anything to say to us about how to navigate the holidays? I hope that uh, you guys will be able to uh, join us next week as we begin that series. Well, speaking of holidays, um, as I think about Thanksgiving, man, my mouth is already watering because I just, I love the turkey and all the, the, the trimmings. And I mean, it's just, it's awesome. I, I'm a huge food guy. I probably spend a little bit too much time uh, thinking about food. I love talking about food. For those who've been coming to Grace for a long time, you know, I, I will use some food illustrations and stuff like that uh, because food is powerful. I remember a powerful moment in my life. I was probably about eight years old and um, I was living in Cincinnati, Ohio at the time. And um, we used to take these family vacations down to the Great Smoky Mountains in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. I don't know if anybody has been there before, but um, this was like before Dollywood and Pigeon Forge being big and all that stuff. This was just when it was kind of still a sleepy little town. And um, we would go down there and it was just all hiking all the time. I mean, my, my parents both loved to hike. And so literally we would do these like all day mountain climbs and we'd pack a, a lunch and some snacks and whatever. And we just go at it all day. And sometimes we wouldn't get home or get off the trail until the sun was setting and it's getting dark. And we'd have to drive back to, you know, the hotel where we were staying. And then we, we would go out and find a place to eat. And so by that point in the day, when we've been hiking all day, man, like I was just, I was so hungry. I felt like I could eat my arm. You know, I was just, I was just famished. And I remember one day we went out uh, to this place and some of you might've heard of this place or maybe you've even been there. It was called Duff's Famous Smorgasbord. I don't know, is there anybody who's, anybody who's, who's heard of that place or been there? Okay, I don't, actually a couple, a couple of folks raising their hands. I don't know if you have online, but um, so Duff's famous smorgasbord when, when Gatlinburg was just real little sleepy little town and it was, it was packed. And I just remember we pulled into the parking lot and instantly I'm seeing all these cars and I'm wondering, oh man, this is, this is not going to go well. There's going to be a huge long line and I'm starving hungry. And so we, we walk into the place and the first thing that I remember as an eight-year-old kid was, was just this glorious smell as soon as you open the door. Just all this, this medley of smells just hit me in the face. It's like, wow, what is this? And we, we walk up to the, the hostess stand or whatever, and, um, and I get a peek, and I see that instead of 
like the normal restaurants where the kitchen's in the back and it's just all tables and everything, I see the most amazing sight I've ever seen in my life. Wall to wall, there's like this, the food's all out already. Like, and there's people coming up to it and like interacting with the food that look like they don't work there. And they're taking stuff off the, off this thing that I later came to understand is called a buffet. And so I'm looking at this and it's like the most incredible thing I've ever seen. It's like, it's like I'd walked into heaven. I I think at eight years old, I got a picture of what heaven's actually going to be like because I experienced it that, that night. I mean, there's, there's fried chicken and meatloaf and mashed potatoes and turkey and there's spaghetti and there's pizza and there's tacos and there's salad and there's dessert after dessert after dessert. And my, I, I'm just looking at all this. I'm like, this is the craziest. Thing. Why is it all out? What's happening here? And I remember I turned to my dad and I said, dad, so how does this work? Like, do you just walk up and, and pick something? And he goes, Son, you don't just pick something. You can pick whatever you want. You can have as much of it as you want. You guys, my brain could not conceive <laughs> what my dad had just told me. I don't know if you can remember the first time you ever walked into an all-you-can-eat buffet, but like it was a paradigm bending moment. I I literally did not, I couldn't grasp it. It didn't make any sense to me. The only rule is you have to get a fresh plate. That's the only rule. You can get as much food as you want. I could not believe it. And really that started a love affair for me with like all you can eat buffets. And I mean, (laughs) to this day, I just, there's something about them I just absolutely love. I mean, you can go up and sample everything and find the best thing and then just chow down on that. It's incredible. It's absolutely awesome. And I got to tell you, it's like, it's everything about what America's supposed to be, really, in my opinion. Because, I mean, think about it. We're, we're in, we're, this is the country of instant gratification, right? Have whatever you want, have it as quickly as you want it. I mean, where else can you walk into a restaurant and within literally like 60 seconds, if you want to, 60 seconds of finding your table, you can be actually putting food in your mouth. That's awesome, that is awesome. So not to mention all the choices and as much as you want. I mean, I just feel like maybe that's why, you know, my family moved from England to this country. Maybe this is why I was supposed to be in this country was because of the all-you-can-eat buffet. Um, food is an incredibly powerful thing. It's powerful in our lives. It's powerful for what it does for us. And um, I'm, I'm way into food, way into it. You know who else was into food? Like really into food? Jesus. You know, the answer in church is always Jesus. When, when, when someone asks you a question, you just, if you don't know, just say Jesus. You're going to be right like 90% of the time. All right. So, so Jesus is actually really into food and you, you can figure this out pretty easily. If you just read through the gospel accounts, there's four people who took the time to write accounts of Jesus life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, they're all in the new Testament of the Bible. And you just see food is everywhere with Jesus ministry. It's, it's all over the place. He's constantly eating with people when he's teaching and doing these parables. I mean, he's, he's referencing food. He's using food to illustrate, here's what the kingdom of God is all about. And so, I mean, you just know Jesus was into food. And, and I kind of have, I have some solid proof, okay? Because you're like, Derek, this is a reach. Okay, here's my solid proof. Are you ready? Jesus called himself the bread of life. He said, I'm the bread of life. Think about that. Okay, if he didn't like bread, okay, let's just get logical. If he did not like bread, 
Would he have called himself the bread of life? No, impossible. So Jesus, he was a food guy, all right? You see it all the time. Jesus was into food. Food was incredibly powerful throughout his ministry. And um, one of the things I think is cool is he uses food to, as one of the, the ways that he convinced thousands of people that he was more than an ordinary man. It's the most famous miracle that Jesus ever did. It's recorded in all four gospel accounts. And uh, people who don't even go to church, don't even uh, subscribe to Christianity at all, they, they know that Jesus is associated with this miracle. Do you guys remember what it is? It's a food miracle. It was a feeding of the, feeding of the 5,000. Exactly. For those who um, are unaware, Jesus was teaching out in the country. And um, word had spread. I mean, his ministry was growing. And as he healed people and as he taught and people were in awe and he was doing all these signs and wonders, people would flock from towns all over the place and they would hear where he was, where he was and they would just go and, and seek him out and find him. And um, so he's out way off in the country and people from all these towns have, have been tracking him. And so literally there's thousands of people who are following Jesus. And so Jesus, um, he gathers the crowds together and he starts teaching them. And he teaches them all day. He's teaching the things of God. And it's getting to be evening time. And his disciples are getting concerned. It's getting late. I'm sure they're hungry. So, you know, there was no like Chipotle or Subway or uh, McDonald's to, you know, to be found. So they're like, Jesus, you got to dismiss everybody. They got to get home. They got to get something to eat. I mean, we've been at this all day. And Jesus says, no, no, it's okay. We'll take care of it. So they, um, they assess the food that's on hand. They find a boy who has his lunch, which is five little loaves of bread and two fish. And this is where we pick up from the uh, tax collector, Matthew, from his account, chapter 14, starting midway through verse 19. It says, taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, Jesus gave thanks and broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. Now, this is a very famous passage of scripture. It's a very famous miracle. Just about all of us in this room, I would imagine, have seen this before or heard about this before. But you know what dawned on me this week as I was looking at this? Something extraordinary stood out to me. This may be the earliest recorded mass all-you-can-eat buffet <laughs> in the history of the world, you guys. Seriously, this is amazing. See, it says they all ate and were satisfied. They didn't just eat. They were satisfied. They threw down. Now, granted, it's, it wasn't a Duff's smorgasbord. You didn't have all the stuff. You had fish and you had bread. But 12 basketfuls left over after everybody is satisfied. This is awesome. Jesus orchestrates the first all-you-can-eat buffet, probably to about 10,000 people, because he's only talking about 5,000 men here, is what, is what uh, Matthew's saying. You got women and you got children. That's awesome. That is awesome. Because, and to be a little bit more serious about this, Jesus sees a need, right? I got people, they're hungry. And he meets that need. He feeds them. Further on in Matthew's account, 
we see Jesus teaching and he's teaching and he's talking about food and he's talking about hungry people. Again, this is a theme that you see over and over through the gospels is you see Jesus and this whole food thing. Jesus knows that food is powerful. Here in this teaching, Jesus is really serious with his followers that we would understand how important what he's about to say is. So let's take a look and see what the takeaway is for us. Jesus says, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus is referring to the final judgment where he as the perfect judge will judge justly and judge lovingly the world. Jesus continues, then the king will say, I'm sorry, verse 33, he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Notice this next verse. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And then Jesus says these words. The king will reply, Truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. One of the things that I love about Jesus, besides all his food references, is how incredibly practical Jesus is in his teaching. Very, very simple message here. He's saying, look, if there are people in need, you need to help them meet those needs. If there are people who are hungry and who are thirsty, I want you to feed them. I want you to give them something to drink. And just to make sure we understand how important this point is to Jesus, he says, it's not just about meeting needs. It's not just about feeding somebody who's hungry. But he says, this is such a big deal to me that if you do that for somebody in need, it's the same as if you've done it for me. That's massive. It kind of, for me, harkens back to this big theological idea that Jesus had when he was questioned by the religious leaders of his day. You know, there was like 600 plus uh, commands that you had to follow as a religious person back then if you were following the Jewish faith. And so these leaders came to him and said, Jesus, Tell us, like, how do you, what's the greatest command of all these 600? Tell us the greatest if you're so smart. And he said, it's pretty simple. All the commands, everything can be, can be basically boiled down to this. Love the Lord your God. But he doesn't stop there. He says, and, and love your neighbor as yourself. And what's interesting about that is that the whole thing hangs on these two things and they're intertwined. It's not just one, it's two. You've got to love God and love others. 
And you can't really separate those two out. And that's what's fascinating about what Jesus is saying here. Because, you know, he's talking to people, and many of us may find ourselves um, in this same way, where we're like, you know, I love God, and I have great faith in God, and, you know, I, I, I would do anything for God. And Jesus is saying, well, if that's the case, then you've got to help those in need. You've got to feed the hungry. You've got to give something to the thirsty when, they're, when they need a drink. And that is the same as loving me. Huge point that Jesus doesn't want us to miss. Well, I want to introduce you to Michelle. Uh, Michelle lives in Peru with her mom and her grandmother and her three siblings. And she lives in a, a pretty poor part of the country. And... Um, one of the things that's made it really, really hard for Michelle and her family is that when uh, she was very small, uh, her dad walked out on the family and abandoned them. And that unfortunately meant that um, their sole provider of income had left the family and they were completely destitute at that point. And so Michelle's mom basically went into survival mode and said, I have to do whatever I can to be able to feed my children. And so she would just do anything she could, beg, find odd jobs, I mean, literally do anything she could to scrounge up enough money to put food on the table for her kids. But oftentimes, Michelle would go hungry. There just wasn't enough food for everybody in the family. And so this went on for years. And for those of you who know what malnutrition does to children, it stunts their growth. It stunts their growth physically, and it starts to stunt their growth mentally and emotionally as well. And um, so Michelle basically stopped growing. She was very, very short for her age and um, became incredibly thin and frail and got um, weak and lethargic and developed anemia and, um, and actually was... Uh, when. When we caught up with her uh, sometime later, she, she said that, um, she's like, you know, I was just always in pain, always in pain all the time. Um, never knew what it was like to not be in pain because she just didn't have enough food to eat. Well, that all changed one day. There was a local school in the area called the Capradelli School, and uh, that school began a partnership with an organization, a U.S.-based organization called Feed My Starving Children. And some of you, that, might, that name might ring a bell for you, Feed My Starving Children. And the reason it may ring a bell for you is because that's the same organization that here at Grace we have partnered with for our big Hunger to Hope meal packing events. We did one uh, last December. It's kind of become a tradition around here. We did 150,000 meals with Feed My Starving Children. And then those meals that we packed are sent to schools and, and different communities all over the world. And so, um, so anyway, the Capradelli School entered into this partnership and basically Feed My Starving Children said, you know what, we're going to start providing meals at this school. Well, there's a really amazing thing that happens when a school is able to offer free food in a community that is short of food. And that is that all of a sudden this school becomes a magnet for kids. It becomes a magnet for families. And so um, Michelle's family heard about the school. They heard about the meal program. 
and immediately enrolled her in the program. And within a very short time, uh, as you would come to expect, she's eating these, um, these basic meals, but they're fortified with soy protein, they're fortified with vitamins, they're fortified with dried vegetables. And, um, and so she started to put on weight. She started to become healthier. Uh, she started to grow again um, and just, just went from this frail, weak, lifeless girl to uh, someone who is just this star in the school. I mean, so much vitality. They said that when she first started coming, she couldn't focus at all. And now she's just laser sharp, one of their best students at the school. And um, so, you know, she today, I mean, she is just absolutely thriving as a result of this partnership between Feed My Starving Children and the Capradelli School. And you may be saying, wow, you know, that's so cool. And I'm glad we partner with Feed My Starving Children to do those meal packing things. And, and that's awesome. I'm really happy for Michelle, you know, that she's, that she's able to have this food and no longer um, starving and all that stuff. But I got to tell you, this story is so much more than food. So much more than food. Although food is very, very powerful. Here's the reality. And some of you remember this from when we did a series this summer in July and August. We did this justice experience series where we took a a deep dive and we took a critical look at slavery and human trafficking in our world today. And one of the things that you you, you find is that, um, that someone like Michelle, living in a very, very tough community and incredibly vulnerable, where her family is just desperate, is that... Michelle is, is absolutely one of the most vulnerable people to, to a, a horrible outcome. So the best case scenario for Michelle when her dad leaves and the family doesn't have enough food to eat is that she basically now lives a life of either begging on the street to try and help feed the family. This is best case scenario, begging on the street or She's assisting her mom, working alongside her mom in whatever odd jobs that they can do to be able to put enough food on the table for her siblings. Now, worst case scenario is that there is someone who is commonly referred to as a recruiter who sees the family in need, builds a little relational capital with the family, and basically says to the mom or the grandma, you know, I know of this great job in the city, And, you know, Michelle's at that age where she'd be awesome to work as a maid in someone's house, where she'd be, she'd be able to work in one of the restaurants in the city. And that recruiter is actually a trafficker. And there are literally thousands and thousands and thousands of girls like Michelle who are snatched up into a horrific industry because they're desperate. They're desperate to find a way to survive. But instead of that happening, you guys, this school started providing meals. So not only does Michelle, you know, get to start growing again and she becomes this healthy, vibrant kid, but she is now on a path to breaking the cycle of poverty. That's why this is so special. It's more than just the food. It's what this represents. Now, Michelle can go on and get an education because her mom doesn't have to worry about it. She and her siblings can go to school and they can become empowered and they can rise above. This is how the cycle of poverty is ended. Most of us don't think twice 
about where our next meal is coming from, do we? I mean, we may think twice about it in the sense of like, well, which restaurant do I want to go to? Or, you know, what do I want to have? Like, you know, should I eat that thing in the freezer? And, you know, how long has that been in there? And I mean, you know, we think twice about stuff like that and what we're going to eat. But most of us don't think twice about whether or not we actually will be able to eat. Don't think twice about it. But you know what? We should. We should. And I'm going to tell you why in a minute. But I want to give you a tool that's going to help you to push in and engage with an issue that we absolutely should be much more involved with and in tune with. And that's just coming from what we just read about Jesus teaching us. So if you've been coming to Grace for over a year, uh, you've probably heard of this thing called the Beans and Rice Challenge. But uh, for those of you who haven't, or maybe you, you, you didn't hear about it last year, I want to tell you what it's all about. So the Beans and Rice Challenge is something that we do, and um, it's, it's basically a way to engage with this issue and push into what Jesus is talking about here with doing something for the least of these brothers and sisters of ours. So here's the concept. This week, um, you pick, you decide you're going to try one meal, or maybe you're going to try a meal every day, so that'd be seven meals for the week, or maybe you're even more ambitious than that, that you decide, hey, instead of doing what I normally do tonight for dinner or later this week or whatever, I am going to replace that meal. I'm not going to do that thing. And instead, I'm going to eat a very basic meal, beans and rice. Now, if you like hate beans and rice, or you're allergic to it or something or whatever, I know it doesn't agree with most of us, that's for sure. But um, anyway, it can be a peanut butter sandwich. It can be, you know, whatever. Um, it could be, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fast and pray through that meal. It's, it's, it, the, the point is that we try and, and do something very simple and very basic. We take the money that we would have spent on that meal and we give it to those in need. So that's the idea of this beans and rice challenge. Now, some of you may be sitting here thinking, okay, well, you know, I'm all for what Jesus said about feeding the hungry, and that's an important issue, and we need to take it seriously. And I'm all for writing a check. I'm all for, you know, I'm all for giving to help people in need. That's, that's great. But man, like eating beans and rice, that's just terrible. Like, why would I want to do that? That's, that's just, that's horrible. I got to tell you, there's a part of it that absolutely is. So why are we doing it if it's so bad? Well, here's why. As a Western society, particularly in this part of the country, we have become so disconnected from the issues facing our brothers and sisters around the world on a daily basis. We're, we're in a bubble. And we don't have to feel bad about it. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, I'm not trying to make us feel guilty or ashamed, but we've lost touch with, with some of the needs in this world. Here's, here's the reality. For most of us who are here, I mean, unless you got dragged here, and I'm sorry, or if you're watching online and someone like pulled you over to the screen and is forcing you to watch this right now, I, I'm sorry for you, okay? But for most of us, we're here voluntarily because we are trying to get closer to God, right? We're trying to become more in tune with God and the things that God cares about, we're hoping to care about. We're here partly because we want to become more like Jesus, 
And you know what? It's great if you just want to write a check. It's great if you want to come back next week and drop some cash into the boxes, like cool beans and rice challenge. It's cool if you want to give online on our website and you don't want to do the, the whole challenge thing. It's great, okay? But I think you're really missing something. We are missing the opportunity to have a spiritual experience. We're missing the opportunity to walk in Michelle's shoes. When's the last time you were genuinely hungry for more than like a half hour? When's the last time that you had to eat like the same meal on multiple occasions, not because you just don't like wasting food or you're really into leftovers, but you had to eat the same thing because like that's all there was. That's all you can afford. If we take this challenge this week, It helps us identify with the things that God really cares about and wants us to push into. That's why we're doing this challenge. It's because, yeah, we're going to raise a bunch of money and that's going to be awesome. Yeah, we're going to do a 200,000 meal packing event toward the end of December and you'll hear more about that next week and that's going to be awesome. But maybe God wants to do something in you. Maybe God wants to move in your life. Maybe there's something that's going to happen through this experience this week to you. That's why we're doing it. And I just don't want you to miss out on what God might say to you or what might happen through this experience. Because this is something that is the very heart of God. And I just want us to be able to lean into it this week. And I hope that when we do, I hope that when we're feeling those hunger pangs, I hope that when we're eating beans and rice again, that we stop and go, wow, how many million people? Is this their reality every day for the rest of their life? I hope we'll stop for just a minute and we'll pray for Michelle and others like her. So I want you to, if you would, take out this pledge card that's in your bulletin. So when you came in, you got one of these pledge cards. And you're going to need a pen. So if you don't have one, shoot your hand up. Our ushers are coming around and they will give you a pen. Just hold your hand up. They'll put a pen in your hand. You will need a pen. You will need the pledge card. And um, I want to walk us through what, what, how we're going to do this, okay? So the pledge card is perforated. So you can actually tear off the little perforated part of the bottom. And this is the part that you're going to fill out. So let me walk you through this part and explain how this is going to work. So the challenge starts right now and it ends next Sunday when we'll come back and give whatever we feel led to give toward this whole beans and rice challenge and this 200,000 meals that we're going to send out. So what you're going to do is you're going to, first of all, in the, the box in the upper left corner, you're going to write down how many meals you think you can realistically do this week. For some of you, it may just be one. That might be your starting point. Others of you, you say, you know what? I'll do it for lunch every day. I'll do seven. Others of you say, you know what? I'll do 14. Whatever that number is, it's cool. All right. You don't write your name on this. It's just between you and God. And you're just going to write that number down. How many meals you want to give up. The next box is my favorite box because that's the number of people you're going to drag through this experience with you. So if you have a friend that you know you can coerce through this, you have influence with that friend, they owe you a favor. Um, You have someone you're dating, that's a perfect person to manipulate, okay? Um, You have a spouse, Um, you know, you have kids, you know, they, they don't get a vote, right? 
They're not cooking them food. Listen, so you then say, okay, it's just me or better yet, I'm gonna drag somebody through this experience. I want someone else to experience this with me. You write down how many people you think you're gonna get to do this challenge with you. You all have influence, okay? People love to help people in need. This is a cool thing, all right? You're gonna take the number of meals times the number of people, you're gonna multiply that together and that's the number of pledged meals that you guys are gonna do this week. All right, then skipping down to the bottom line, it says, I value one meal at. This is highly personal, okay? What, what do you think you spend on a meal per person? Just write that number in, okay? That, whatever that number is for you. We have different tastes. We have different expense levels. So you write that number in, five bucks, 10 bucks, 20 bucks, whatever it is. And then you take what you value the meal times your pledge meals, which was that box in the upper right, you multiply those two numbers together. If you're terrible at math, have somebody help you around you, okay? And, um, and then that number is gonna give you the total amount of your pledge for the week. And you just write in whatever number that is, and that becomes what you're pledging for this beans and rice challenge. Now again, you don't write your name on it. You know, this is just something that, this is just a way of you writing it down. It's just a, it's a little accountability thing really between you and God. So here's what I want you to do. Make sure you write the number on the part of the card you're keeping. So this part right here, and I hope you guys online saw the downloadable pledge card. I'm sorry, I forgot to mention that, but you guys have one you can download and you can do this as well. Um, so write the number on this card too, because you're going to keep this, put it on your fridge, put it on your mirror, put it somewhere where you'll see it this week and it'll remind you that you took this challenge. And then uh, what I want everyone to do is go ahead and pass those cards to your right when you finished filling them out. Everybody pass to the right. Ushers will collect. If you're at the end of the row, go ahead and take those from other folks. I want us to take just a couple of minutes to do that now. Everybody filling out the cards, everybody passing them to the right, just the small card. And uh, if you've already filled it out and you've already passed it, I would like for you right now in silence to just think about the Michelles of this world and just pray for them, would you? Would you just remember them right now? Would you pray for those Michelles of the world as the rest of everyone else is filling those cards out, passing them to the right? I'm gonna give us just a couple minutes and then um, we're going to close with prayer. Okay, if you would, would you bow your head and close your eyes with me? Lord God, we thank you for food. Um, it's kind of fun to talk about and tell stories about, but it is powerful. It's a way that you sustain us. It tastes really good. It's, a, it's a, an awesome experience that we have provides a lot of joy. For many of us, it's what we do with friends and family members. It's a great thing, food. It's powerful. We thank you that not only do you want us to enjoy food, but you want us to make sure that there's enough for everybody in this world. We thank you for powerful teachings like we see in Matthew 25, where you remind us that this is such a big deal to you that it's like when we feed someone who's hungry, it's like we fed you, Lord. God, I just want to pray that this week you would do something awesome 
in us and through us as a community. And God, I, I, I know that, you know, you're always going to provide and, and the money always comes in and I'm not worried at all about that part. But God, the part that I just really, really, I'm just asking that you would move us all to do is to actually experience what Michelle and so many others experience on a day in and day out basis. God, I pray that you'd use this challenge to to draw us closer to you and the things that matter so deeply to you. I pray for many of us that it would be awful. Not that we'd get sick or anything. I definitely don't want that, God, but but, uh, just that it would be tough, that we'd suffer a bit. And in the midst of that suffering, we'd be moved to really pray. We'd be moved to really act. We'd be moved with such gratitude for all the things we take for granted in this life. God, I thank you for all the prayers lifted up for the Michelles of this world. We ask that you'd continue to bless Michelle, her family, and all the others, God, who are just waiting for a partnership. They're waiting for a miracle. And we pray, God, that you would hear their cries and that you'd mobilize us to do something about it. In Christ's name, and everybody said, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Grace Community Church, a church for people who don't go to church, meets on Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 11 a.m. in Arlington, Virginia. Connect with us anytime at trygrace.org.